0: If you're, if you're new here we've, we've got a little gift for you today so if at the end of service you go to the the welcome table just in the back of this room uh, we've got a gift for you today but we're so glad that you guys are here and we're excited about the Easter season and uh, we, we've started a new series just last week and if you feel like oh man I didn't you know like I'm now I'm in the middle of it don't have no fear okay uh, that we have a podcast and YouTube and Facebook and all that stuff and so you can go check that out on Spotify or or Apple Podcasts, or anything like that. But I'm going to catch you up this morning, so you're not going to to miss anything. Because what we're doing is, we're walking through a story today. And it's a story that never should have made it to us. It should have never survived the 2,000 years that it survived. But it did. And you probably know it, if you opened up your Bible, you probably know it as the Book of Mark, right? But here's the thing, is that the Book of Mark is, is not a book. It's not even from really mark. It's, it's something completely different. And what it is, is it's a story. And it's a story told by a 50-year-old man. It's a man who's in his 50s, sitting in prison. He's been captured by the Emperor Nero, and he's been placed under house arrest or in prison in Rome. And he's sitting there, and there's a story that he has that he's told for the last 30 years. Because when he was in his 20s, he was a young fisherman, And then one day he meets a man, a rabbi, a new teacher that's kind of breaking out on the scene by the name of Jesus. And he ends up leaving his wife, he ends up leaving his family, not to, in a divorce type of way, but to go and to travel and to be mentored and to be taught by this, by this rabbi, by this teacher by the name of Jesus. And he travels with him and he lives with him and he's, he's taught by him. And they become very, very good friends. For the next three and a half years, they travel together all the way up until Jesus' crucifixion. And then what Peter would say... Peter would say his, his resurrection. And so for 30 years, he, he tells this story. Everywhere he goes, people ask him about Jesus. People ask him what he saw. And he tells this story. And, and that man, that old man who's, who's sitting in prison telling us his story is the man known as Simon Peter, or as you may know him as, is, is Peter, Right? And so what happened was, is when Peter is captured and he's put in prison at this point in time, most of the apostles, most of the disciples, they've all been captured, they've all been executed or, or killed, some publicly, some in horrifying ways in the streets. And so John is alive and off somewhere else. And, and here Peter sits in jail and he knows this is, this is the end of the line. This is the end of the road. And so he had a traveling companion by the name of John Mark. And John Mark goes and visits him in prison. Pretty much you could do that because that's the only way you could be kept alive because they didn't you know, keep up with you. You had to have friends that kept you alive and supported you and stuff. So John Mark goes and and travels to Peter and they have no clue when his execution date is going to be. There's no trial system or anything like that. But he knows, man, everybody else has been executed. I'm going to be executed too. It's just a matter of time. So John Mark, he goes to Peter and he goes, Peter, the story that I have heard you told for the last 30 years, the story of what happened in those three years when you traveled with Jesus and you lived with Jesus and you were friends with Jesus, we have to write this down. This, this has been shared and impacted so many people. We have to document it. We have to write it down because it has to continue on. It has to, it has to travel on past this. And so they sit down to tell Peter story. And they sit down and it's just, it's just an old man telling a story. Imagine, I mean, some of you, you may be in your 50s or you have a father or you have a grandfather who's in his 50s. And, you know, when somebody just sits down and tells a story, I mean, it's disjointed and some of the details may not line up and they kind of, you know, hop around the timeline and say, oh, well, let me, let me tell you about that one time. Hold on. Before I get to that, I want to tell you a funny joke really quick. And so that's what we have when we look at the book of Mark. But here's the thing. It's not a book. And it's unedited. And the reason that sometimes it may not align up perfectly with Luke's investigation or it may seem like it jumps around is because it's just an old man telling his stories. And when he was done, John Mark left for Egypt and would go to Egypt where scribes, where you could hire scribes. And these scribes, they wrote out word for word everything that Mark had written down from the mouth of Peter. And they didn't edit it. They didn't move it around. They didn't go, oh, this is going to be a beautiful book. We are going to sell one day. I don't know what that accent is. Anyway, uh, and, and so we need to move this here. No, no, no. They didn't do any of that. It's raw and it's unedited. Because it's not a, it's not a, it's not a fairy tale. It's not a story. It's a testimony of what Peter saw with his own eyes. And so... As we dive into this today, I don't want you to hear us reading the Bible because they never sat down and never intended to write a, the Bible. They sat down to write Peter's story. And when when it was copied and documented, and it started to be dispersed around Europe for hundreds of years, there were generations of Christians that didn't have the Bible. All they had was Peter's story. It would be hundreds of years till all of a sudden, the, the emperor of Rome would be dethroned, and a Christian emperor would be put in place. And suddenly, Christians could come out of hiding, and they would bring out all of these different letters and transcriptions that they had, and they would say, have you all heard the story of Peter? And somebody else says, "Well, have you heard the story of John?" And somebody else said, "Have you heard the story of Matthew?" And somebody else said, "Have you heard the investigation that Luke put together?" Oh yeah. Well, and then look, we have all of these different letters from Peter and from John and from Paul, and that wasn't that was when we got the the Bible. Okay, but it wasn't for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But for many years, it's all they had was Peter's story. And you know what? For many, that was enough because Peter's story didn't make him look good, didn't seem like he was making it up. Actually, he's very honest and raw about how weak he was, about how much he doubted, and about how much he struggled to believe. So here's the thing. If you're coming back to church, you're coming to church for the first time, and you're having a problem believing, you're struggling, you feel like you're a doubter, you've got questions. Peter, if he were standing up here today, he would say, me too. But let me tell you what I saw with my very own eyes. So as we dive into this, Peter, he began his gospel. He goes, all right, here's how I want to start it, John Mark. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Here's the thing. We talked about this a lot last week. He keeps using this word good news, good news, good news, good news. And I said this last week. If the version of faith you grew up with is not good news. It may not be the original version. It most certainly wasn't Peter's version because when Peter heard the good news of Jesus, it was good news. It wasn't judgmental news. It wasn't bad news. It wasn't hellfire and brimstone. It was good news. And then he starts to talk about how him and Jesus met. And he goes, wait, 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 I'll tell you a story because I have no clue how much time we have. I have no clue if I'm about to be executed or not. Let me, jump, let me jump ahead a few years and tell you about what that good news is. So he jumps ahead in this timeline, and then what he'll do is he'll jump back and, and go to, back to the beginning of the story. But he, he had to tell us this because this was so crucial. This was so very important. He goes, let me tell you about the time. After John was put in prison, he's talking about John the Baptist, right? So he says, Jesus went to Galilee, and he was proclaiming the good news. He went up north from Jerusalem, and he went around everywhere he went, and he was telling people what the good news was. Let me tell you what the good news is. And when he said what Jesus told everyone, he said, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near." This, this is the good news of the gospel. Not that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. Yes, that's all true and that's all good. And if we believe in him, we get to go to heaven. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that's not the point though. That's all true, but it's not the point. The point is that the king left his throne. Even though he was the offended party, even though he was the one that had done nothing wrong and we had sinned against him, the king decided to leave his throne and bring heaven to earth. The king came down and made himself into a man where he would be tempted and he would be put through things he did not deserve to be put through. And he came near to us because he loved us just that much. So that even though our time hasn't come, we would learn how to live like kingdom citizens here on this earth so that we could heal our relationships, so we could love each other better, so that Jesus could make our life better and make us better at life. He did that for us. And that is the good news. And the good news for you and me is that when we were far off, God came near. And still, even today... When we're far off, God is still near. And the only thing that we have to do, the thing that Jesus told everybody to do because the kingdom had come near, is he said this he said, So repent and believe the good news. And that repent and believe what it means, what it means is to to face it and embrace it that the kingdom of God is here, face it and embrace it. This is how God's kingdom works. This is what heaven is going to be like. This is how we're going to treat one another. This is how we're going to love one another. This is how we're going to be in community with one another. Let's start doing it here and bring a little bit of heaven here to earth. Let's face it and embrace it. The kingdom is here and he is a new king and we are supposed to follow and lean in to it. So, Once Peter gets that off his chest, he goes, all right, now. Now I'll tell you how I met Jesus, okay? So he goes back and he talks about him in the boat and, and all the other disciples who start to follow him. He talks about Andrew and he talks about his brother and he talks about John and he talks about all the people that you know started to become part of this little new you know gang of, of Jesus followers. And so he says, so we met him. And then he says this next. He tells us at the end of uh, chapter one, he goes, news about him spread quickly all over the region of Galilee. So this is just north of Jerusalem. So just north of Jerusalem, Where all these fishermen and all these blue collar workers live, Jesus is traveling around and and he's starting to get kind of a following and stuff. And then Jesus starts to just flip the script. And Peter, he starts telling these stories. He goes, All right, so let me tell you about what happened next. And and I've got to help you understand just how much Jesus flipped the script. the script. He he did some really really crazy things, and he just disrupted the system. He made so many so many people upset, because his kingdom was so opposite of our natural way of living, we're such naturally selfish people. We're so naturally in it for us, but he just disrupted the system and just flipped the script on us, and he ticked everybody off. It was it was fascinating. And here's the thing, I, I I've got to say this to you before we can we, we can move on to the story, if. If Jesus hasn't messed up your worldview, then you haven't met Jesus. Because when Jesus came, he didn't come and, and tell people, now look, this is, this, is, this is a good idea. I mean, take it or leave it. You may choose not to today and that's okay. No, no, no. He came and he flipped the script and he, he messed up everybody's worldview of how they thought the world worked and what they thought was fair and what they thought was right. And he just flipped the script. And here's the thing. If, if, you've, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and Jesus hasn't messed up your worldview, boy, you haven't met Jesus yet. Because at some point in time, if somebody asks you, well, why do you live that way? Why do you do that? At some point, our answer should just be, I know, it doesn't make sense. It seems like a really stupid thing to do, but that's what the king says, right? Why do you forgive people so quickly? Aren't you angry? Yes, very, very angry, very ticked off. But it's what my king says to do. Why are you generous? It's stupid that you would just give that money away. That's that's, that's, that's hard. That's your hard-earned, yeah, I, I know, but this is what the king says to do. At some point, Jesus' kingdom should collide with our kingdom. And our kingdom should be the one that folds and gives in and goes, Well, Lord, not my way, but yours. But there's three distinct ways that Jesus just disrupted the system, screwed up everything. A couple things that Peter's going to talk about here. He says, first of all, he ignored certain religious protocols. He he claimed to have authority to forgive sin. And he was uncomfortably comfortable with unrepentant sinners. And for just a second, I I want you to take a look at this list. Because for some of you, this is why you left the church, right? For some of you, this is why you stopped coming to church. For some of you, this is why you've had a hard problem being a part of a church because, well, I mean, the religious protocols, right? I mean, you grew up in a church where there was a song and there was a dance and there was a whole thing you had to do with your hands and then you had to go to this place and you had to go up and down and up and down, you know, and you were like... You know, and like, at some point you raised your hand and you're like, hey, um, just, just, just one question. Why are we doing this, you know? And what did they tell you? Put your hand down and shut up, right? We don't talk in church. That's what they told you, right? You can talk. Just don't talk too much, all right? Just, just a little bit, all right? But they told you, be quiet. Sit down, okay? Don't ask questions. This is how we've always done it, is what they said, right? And here's the thing. If that's you today, you're going to love Jesus, Because Jesus broke all of the rules. Jesus chose people over religious systems. And then the other thing may be that, well, I mean, he claimed to have authority to forgive sin. And again, depending on your church background or where you grew up, you know what? You may have been told that you you can't be forgiven of your sin unless you go see a priest. This is something that you can't do on your own. You're going to have to go visit the special place with the special room, with the special window and talk to the special person in the Wizard of Oz in order to be pardoned of these things, right? And so you you may have been told that, or you know what, if you grew up in in a church kind of like I did, you were kind of taught this idea that you had to earn it, right? That you're a bad person, that you've done bad things, and now you need, to, you need to get back into God's graces. You need to earn it, you know? And th- that you need to get back, back in line with certain things, and you need to jump through certain hoops in order to be forgiven. You've got to pray this special prayer and do all of these certain things. And here's the thing. You're going to love Jesus because you know what? Jesus claimed to be able to forgive people's sins with a word. And before they ever prayed a prayer, before they ever confessed anything, Jesus said, you're forgiven. And he recognized them as his children of God. So if that's you this morning, if if that's your hang-up, if you're thinking that that you had to to be good for three months before you could come into this place, let me tell you, that's not true at all. Or or maybe, maybe your hang-up is that you have always felt like that sinner that people were uncomfortable being around. Maybe this morning, even before you came to this place, you thought, okay, what am I gonna wear? Because I can't just wear like, what I wear to the gym, you know? And then you walked in here, and there's all kinds of people in, in spanks and flip flops and yoga pants and all kinds of stuff, you know what I mean? I, I, I bought this shirt at the Baby Gap this morning, you know? And so <laughs> I keep, yeah, you know, and so you, know, you may be thinking that this morning, but you may have thought, like, I, I'm that sinner. I'm that sinner that nobody, nobody would want. I don't qualify. And let me tell you something this morning. This is the thing I hope you walk out of here that you know the most. Is that if you are uncomfortably comfortable, God would be the most comfortable with you. Because he invited everyone to participate in his kingdom. So, that's what we're going to talk about today. So, Peter, he goes on and he says this. He says, so... Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and and, and driving out demons. Now, again, this this is something like we get to this in the middle, like driving out demons, right? I mean, that's not a thing that we see very much. I mean, people ask me all the time, I mean, I'm a pastor's kid. uh, I'm a pastor now. And people are like, driving out demons. I mean, pastor, what what do you think about that? And I'm like, that's that's what Peter said he saw. I mean, it's something I've never seen it myself. But Peter said that Jesus was traveling around it. He starts driving out demons out of people. I mean, I've I've, I've never seen it, you know. I mean, there was one time where Kate, my wife, was very, very cranky. And I, I, I laid my hands on her and started praying. And she tapped me really hard. And so anyway, I mean, that's as close as I've ever gotten. Closest I've ever gotten to a demon. Um, I mean, my wife. I mean, anyway, moving on. So, but that's what Peter says. Peter says that he that he saw Jesus driving out demons. I mean, again, it may not be something that we can understand or comprehend or wrap our mind around. But Jesus said, I mean, Peter said that that's all I'm doing. So then he goes on, and he says, "This I love you, Kate." Um, <laughs> If anybody has a bed for me tonight, I'd like to stay. There. Uh, he says, "A man with leprosy came to him and begged him." on his knees. Now, leprosy is something that we may not be able to understand. It was a, a terrible skin disease where, where these different things would break out. And, and here's why this is such a big deal. Back then, they didn't have doctors. They didn't have modern medicine. They didn't, weren't able to experiment on dead bodies or anything like that unless it was in the arena. And so, and so they didn't know how to treat this stuff. And, but they knew it was contagious because anybody who came into contact and touched somebody with leprosy would end up with leprosy. So what they did was, is they would take these people with leprosy and just drive them out of the community and basically you lose your life. It's like you weren't allowed to die, but also you weren't allowed to live. Think of how a terrible what 's terrible life that would be, so they were driven outside the walls and, and they were just left there, and they basically were a community of, of people with leprosy and they weren 't allowed to be with their family, they weren't allowed to see their friends, they were outcasts, and they were shunned, and they were pushed out and there was really no hope for them at all and so this this person with leprosy comes to Jesus and he, he falls down and he just begins to beg Jesus. And this is what Peter said he saw. And the man said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, I believe. If you are willing to do it, I know you can make me clean. Now here's the thing, right? Even Peter and these disciples who are standing there watching this, they're probably thinking, I don't think that can happen. I mean, the leprosy, it's visible, okay? I mean, the demon thing, that's something going on internally. I don't know, okay, whatever. But I mean, this is like a physical ailment. It's on their face. It's on their arms. It's covering their entire body. And they're like, okay, I, we haven't seen Jesus do anything like this yet. I i just, I don't think, I think that guy's a little bit out of his mind. But this man He believes Jesus can. And here's what we would call this. We we would call this perfect faith. And you know what perfect faith is? Perfect faith is confident Jesus can and hoping Jesus will. Let, Let me ask you a question. Are you confident that Jesus can and hoping Jesus will? I think some of us We get to these points in our life where we think, well, Jesus has done all that he can. This is it. Jesus can't do anything about my anxiety. I'm just stuck with it. Jesus can't do anything about my depression. I'm just stuck with it. Jesus can't do anything about my anger. I'm just stuck with it. Jesus can't heal my marriage. I'm just stuck with it. Jesus can't change that person. We're stuck with them. They're just that black sheep of the family. There's no hope for them. That's just how they're always going to be. That's who they are, right? And we get in these places where we just think, well, we've reached the end of the line. We've done all Jesus can do. We're just going to wait, wait, hold out, you know, cross our fingers and and, and do what we can and try to manage it as we can. But let me ask you something. What, What would happen if you believed that Jesus can? That Jesus can? And you hoped that Jesus would. Because that's what this man believes. and it's, He's out of his mind. There's nothing that tells him that this is possible. But he believes it. He believes that Jesus can. And he hopes that Jesus will. And it says that Jesus was indignant. And of course you all know what that word means, right? <laughs> indignant means angry if you didn't know. Which if you're reading this, especially this is from your NIV, right? It's a common English translation. If you're reading this, you were thinking, so Jesus was angry? But if you read the Greek, this is what's so good too. If there's something you ever read in your English Bible and you're like, I don't know, guess what? We still have the Greek manuscripts... Of, of going back generations and generations and generations. So we can go back and we can look at this. And what it actually says is, it's, it's kind of a bad translation to say that Jesus was indignant because what it actually says is that Jesus had compassion. And what these English translators, when they wrote indignant, what they were saying was, is not that Jesus was mad at the, the man with leprosy. Jesus was mad about the injustice Jesus had compassion and he hated that this injustice had been done to this man, that this man had basically lost his identity and lost his life. And so Jesus wasn't mad at him for asking. Jesus hated the social injustice that had had happened to this man. It says he was indignant and then he reached out his hand and touched the man. Which if Peter were standing up here today, he would say, oh my goodness, let me tell you something. This man with leprosy, he came one day, he falls on his knees, he says, Jesus, if you will touch me, I know I would be clean. And Jesus started to reach his hand out, and we were like, hey Jesus, 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 Jesus. Before, I don't know if you know what that is. That is leprosy. You will catch it. You will become sick. We will all probably get sick. We will all lose our lives. None of us will be able to go home. We'll all lose our jobs. And we'll all be in this weird commune with weird, creepy stuff all over our face. Please do not touch him. But Jesus pushes everybody out of the way. And he says to the man, I'm willing. Be clean. Jesus decided that he was willing. And and, and let me take a time out for a minute. Because I know what some of you are already thinking. Man, this is also what I don't like about church. Because I've prayed, Jesus, 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 please, 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 please. And I actually did believe that he could if he would. But he didn't for me. And for you, I want to say, that's not because of your past. It's not because of your performance. It's not because you... You couldn't have earned your way to it. Why Jesus is willing to do for some what he's unwilling to do for others, we'll we'll have no idea. But let me tell you without a shadow of doubt what I know. It has nothing to do with you. Has nothing to do with what you did wrong, it has nothing to do with how you prayed, it has nothing to do with your giving, it has nothing to do with your church attendance, it has nothing to do with it. It is something to do with God's kingdom and what He's trying to accomplish, and none of us will know exactly what that is, but you did nothing wrong. But for this man, He was willing, and He did, and He touched him, and He said, Be clean, and then immediately, The leprosy left him when he was cleaned. And again, if I was John Mark, I'd say like, you mean like a couple days later he got better? Or like, and Peter would say, no, I'm telling you, it was the craziest thing I ever saw. Immediately, immediately, he was healed. And then it says, Peter says, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. And guess what the man did? He told everybody, geez, nobody ever listens to their pastor. You know, don't, now look, this is between you and me. Got it. Guys, you'll never believe, right? And then that's what happened. And so anyway, then what happens is Jesus says, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So here's what had to happen. If you ever did, they had a system for if you ever did, Get healed from leprosy or got better from leprosy, which nobody ever did. But they said, all right, just by the off chance that you think you're cured and you're over this, all right, fine. We'll give you your life back. We'll give you your identity back if you go to the priest and they examine your body. And once they examine your body and give you the all clear You can go back to your life. And so Jesus, he tells us, man, look, go to the temple and get your life back. Get your life back and start living. But here's the interesting part of the story. Because Jesus touched a man with leprosy, Jesus was supposed to go to the temple and be examined as well to show that he hadn't caught leprosy. And this wasn't a state law. This was a religious law. Leviticus 5. Go look it up. According to the law of Moses, according to the Old Covenant, Old Testament, 613 commands, Jesus was supposed to go to the temple and be examined by a priest. Which is the other reason why Peter didn't want him to touch him. Because that meant that they all had to go and be examined by a priest. And so he tells the man, go back to the temple and be examined so that you can get your life back. And Peter goes, well, we might as well walk with him because we all got to go now. And do you know what Jesus says? Jesus goes, no, we ain't doing that. Whoa, excuse me? Nah, we're not doing that. We're not going there. We don't have to do that. We're not doing it. But Jesus, it's what the Bible says. Leviticus 5. You're not supposed to have tattoos. And you can't do those other things. And and if you touch a guy with leprosy, you got to go to the temple. That's what the Bible says. Jesus goes, nah. I've come to replace all that. That's Old Covenant. This is New Covenant. This is my kingdom. I'm the king. And you know what? For some of us, we get so caught up in the religious hoops... That we forget what it's all really about. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. The kingdom has come. And we've got business to do. And I have authority over all of this. So we're not going to the temple. And he breaks the Bible rules. Isn't that bad? He broke the commandments. I bet he got tattoos later too. Anyway, but he says later. That'd be cool, like an apostle tattoo, like on their tricep or something. Anyway, instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but had to stay outside in lonely places. So it's so crowded, it's so crazy, he can't even go into the cities anymore. He's got to go out into the woods, but it doesn't matter. People are following him everywhere. So then he says this he says, Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Because who wouldn't be interested in a man who offers such good news, but also so willing to help people? And so then, they go and they continue to travel. And it says, "...they gathered in such large numbers..." that there was no room left. So they they end up traveling and they end up going to this house. And we know it was a very big house. We know this was somebody who uh, who had a lot of money that that had a house. And so they end up at this really big house. But still, even though it's a big house, there's no room left there and not even outside the door. And so he preached the word to them. So Jesus is now in this house and, and there's people all over the place. There's people spreading out and people are just like trying to listen to Jesus in the kitchen as he's sitting at the kitchen table drinking a cup of coffee, telling them the good news, the kingdom of God, God has come near repent and believe and then these men come with their friend and this is what Peter says happened it says then all of a sudden some men came bringing their paralyzed friend and, and, and they were, they carried him four of them were all together and again you probably know this story there was a paralyzed man heard about Jesus He finds four friends. Four friends put him on some kind of gurney of some kind. And they they carry him to Jesus. And they get there and they can't get in the house. They can't get to Jesus. So what do they do? They go to the roof. These men are out of their mind. But they're desperate and they're crazy. And so they go to the roof. And then Peter, he, he says, he goes, Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat that the man was lying on. So just imagine this for a minute. Jesus is sitting there at a kitchen table. And he's preaching. And he's teaching. And then all of a sudden you hear some stuff up above. And you're like, ah, oh, it's probably just a raccoon in the roof or something. I don't know. And then all of a sudden you hear a... And a little bit of dust falls down into Jesus' coffee. <laughs> what in the world, right? And then a little bit more. A little bit more. And all of a sudden just a... boo, And then a hole just breaks through. And there's a guy's eye, you know. And he's just like... We're coming in. Just a minute. You know what I mean? So they're breaking this roof down. They're just, it's a clay roof. And so they're just continually to beat it, make a bigger hole, make a bigger hole. And if you're the homeowner, why does nobody talk to us about the homeowner? Probably because he was cursing at the top of his lungs, you know? He's so mad. He's probably poking a stick up there like, quit it. You're ruining this. You're poking a hole in my roof. And then they open it up big enough to where they can lower a human body on a gurney down on this kitchen table in front of Jesus. Jesus. And you just imagine this body just being plopped down from the ceiling on this kitchen table. And Jesus just moves his coffee really quick, you know. And then there he is. And the four friends are just up above going, good luck, Sean. Yeah, and this, what's there is what's left. And then it says, Peter said, man, when Jesus saw their faith. And here's what's so important. The, the important word. It's not his faith. Not the man's faith. Whose faith was it? The friend's. Which is why it's so important to be part of a family of believers like this. Because sometimes it's not your faith that will get you through it. Sometimes it's the faith of your friends who care about you and value you that can get you where you need to go. And they had perfect faith, confident that Jesus could and hoping that Jesus would. And Peter says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, wait a minute. The last man, he said, you're clean, you're healed. But this time... He says, your sins are forgiven. And whoa, this, the crowd broke out and go, what did he just say? I mean, they were really, really bothered. And I mean, we know this because Peter said, we heard it, man. All of a sudden, what happens next? Peter says, let me tell you, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Because nobody could just forgive somebody of their sins Who had the authority to do that? You had to go to the temple. You had to go to the priest, the person who was qualified to actually forgive people of their sins. That's what you were supposed to do. Who does this man think he is? He's blaspheming. And then it says next that that they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? Who has the power to do this? Because here's what you have to understand. It's not just the authority to forgive sin. If you say that you have the authority to forgive sin, you're not just saying you can forgive people. You're saying that that you have power over sin. You're saying that you you can reverse the consequences of sin. You can put sin back in its box. Who in their right mind, as a man, could claim to be able to do that? So immediately it says, Peter said, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. So not only can he heal people, but he's a mind reader too. Which Peter's like, and then we stopped thinking bad thoughts, right? And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? And these men went, What? How does he know? How does he know? And he says this to them. He goes, let me ask you guys a question. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Because back then and even in pagan times, they thought there was a connection between being unhealthy and sin. That if you were unhealthy or if you were sick, it's because you had done something wrong. And Jesus goes, since you guys think one or in the same, what does it matter? What does it matter if I say that he's healed or that he's forgiven? Because what's most important is not that he is healed, but that he's forgiven of his sins. And yeah, guess what? I am claiming to do that. Because he says next to him, he goes... I want you to know that the son of man, me, has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he says to the man, he says, hey, I tell you, get up, take your mat and walk home with your friends. So it says, he got up, he took his mat and he walked out right in front of everybody. And this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever wonder if God can or would forgive you? For some of you, you think, man, I don't know. I think I'd have to earn it. I think I'd have to get back in God's graces. Before I could sing that song about I am a child of God. I, let me go to church for a little while. Or let me let me, let me me level up with some of these people. I look around the room. I am not qualified. I don't, I don't think that God would forgive me. You, Pastor, you have no clue what I've done. If I told you my story. If I told you what I've done. If I've told you my thoughts. If I've told you how many times I've cursed God or I've been mad at God. I'm telling you. I don't know. If God would forgive me. And let me tell you what I know, and I only know it because it's what Peter told us. Yes, he would. He would. He would forgive you. And for others of you, probably the people with the church experience in the room, you grew up in church, you're like, man. I, God, I know God would forgive me. I mean, that's not, that's not a big deal. I mean, I've always believed that. I've always known that. God, yeah, I know God forgives me of my sin. I actually use that little loophole a little bit more than I should, you know, because I do. I do believe. But you may be in a different boat because what you may be in the boat of is that I know God will forgive me of my sin, but I know He'll always have to forgive me because I'll never not be a sinner. I'll never be over this. I'll never be able to not look at pornography. I'll never be able to not fall in that temptation of gambling. I'll never not be able to lie. I'll always be an angry person. I'll always be this little bit of selfish. I'll never be able to give this up. I'll never be able to lay this down. For you, I want to ask you a question. Do you ever wonder if God can put your sin back in the box? Because here's the thing. If you have a view of God, that God... Can't just forgive sin, but he could never put sin back in its box. He could never overcome sin. He could never transform my life and teach me the tools that I need to be able to overcome sin and to maybe not be a selfish person and to maybe not give into this temptation. And maybe he could give me a new life where I wouldn't turn to this to feel better. If you believe that God can't do that, let me tell you something. You have such a small view of God. Because if God can heal leprosy, if God can, can heal the paralyzed, if God can die and predict his own death and resurrection and three days later be back alive, then whatever it is that you're dealing with and what you're going through, let me tell you something. God can get you through that too. And God has the power to not just forgive you of your sin, but to butt sin back in the box and has power over it, so it says next they were in town, they were in the, walking through the streets, and as he walked along, they saw a man by the name of Levi, son of, of Alphaeus. See, back then there were, must have been a lot of Levi's. So there's Levi, son of, okay? So I'm Michael, son of Brian, all right? Because there's a lot of Michaels. But he's Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, here's the thing tax collectors were terrible people. Because the government, they had a certain percentage that they wanted people to be taxed on, but there was no one who regulated the tax people. So the tax collectors would take the cut, take the cut that the, the state demanded, but then they'd also add 15 percent, 16 percent, 17 percent didn't really matter. It was all different. And you had no you had no, you had had no, say in it because whoever your tax collector was that was assigned to your region, you were at their mercy. And so these tax collectors would take whatever percentage the state demanded, but they would take a little bit more than that. They'd send what they were supposed to do to the state and they were rich. They were the wealthiest, richest, most scumbag people on the face of the earth during this time. I mean, if you saw a tax collector, you probably wanted to spit in their general direction because they were such terrible people. And so they're traveling into the street and Peter would tell you, he goes, I'll never forget the day that we walked by the tax collector's booth. And there was sitting Levi. And I'll never forget, we were walking through the streets and we saw Levi. And we all went, oh gosh, there's Levi, the tax collector. What, what a piece of... And Jesus said, don't say that word. Okay, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But he's a bad man, Jesus. Let me tell you something. He is a bad man. Man, this man is corrupt, this man is wicked, this man is unfair, he is a thief, he is a liar, he is rich, he is privileged, he's scum of the earth, Jesus. What a terrible person. Well, you know what, you should go preach to him, Jesus, is what you should do. And Jesus probably stopped and went, you know what, you're right, I... I should say something to him. That's right. Why don't you go tell him to repent? Because that man is headed for hell. Go tell him, Jesus, that he needs to repent and believe. Jesus goes, hold on a second. Hold my coffee. And he turns and he looks at Levi. And imagine if you were Levi for a minute. You've heard the reputation of Jesus. You know he's a rabbi. You know he's a teacher. You know what he represents. And if you're Levi, you're probably thinking, oh, great. It's like whenever I come to your parties and you all go, oh, shoot. You know what I mean? Okay, get the Dr. Pepper out. You know what I mean? Like, okay, everybody watch your language. The pastor's here now. I invited work friends. I knew I shouldn't have done that, right? Hey, pastor, how's it going? Blessings and tidings to you. You know, I know how you all are, right? Every time I go in the Spee's house, it's the same thing. Anyway, um, you can tell I had three cups of coffee this morning, right? Uh, But imagine you're Levi for a minute. Imagine you're Levi. And you're like, ah, geez, here it comes. What's this guy going to say to me? How's he going to judge me? What's he going to say? All right, here it comes. And Jesus walks over to the tax collector's booth. And he looks at Levi. And he says to Levi, follow me. What? Yeah, come with me. You're invited. What about repent, believe? Is there a prayer I'm supposed to do? Or like, no, come, come on. Come with us. I am not qualified for that. I don't know if you know your friends all hate me. I'm not a good person. I've done a lot of stuff. Come on. Come with me. And Levi got up, and followed him. Some of you don't recognize the name Levi, but you know his other name, Matthew. If you open up your Bible, you go to that first book of your New Testament, there is a story of Matthew. Who would have thought 2,000 years later we'd Still be talking about the man who is a corrupt scumbag, lying thief of a dude, and it ends up being the Matthew that we all love his story and his retelling of Jesus and what Jesus did for him. Here's the thing you this morning may feel like Levi, you this morning may feel like you don't qualify. That you're not good enough, that you don't belong. But if Peter were standing up here in front of you today, he would say, "The kingdom of God has come near, and everyone is invited to participate. Even you, even me, even Levi, even Peter. Well, what? But but what am I? What am I supposed to do? What does what that? What does that mean?" And Peter would say. I think that all you need to do besides to repent and believe, just to face it and embrace it, I think that the next step is to be confident that Jesus can and hoping that Jesus will. And Peter would tell you, man, if you can do that, you're in. See, here's the thing. You've always thought you were so far from the kingdom of God, that you were so far from God, that you were so undeserving, that that you would never be able to fit into this. But Peter would say, let me tell you, you are not far. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Repent and believe and put your faith in Jesus. Trust Jesus him, lean into him, be confident that he can and hoping that he will. And let me tell you something, Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, this morning, I am so thankful for your message. I am so thankful for your invitation To follow you. God, I I, I know that for somebody in this room this morning or somebody watching online, we have felt far off from you. It has been a long time. And there is a whole story to tell. But God, this morning, I don't think you're interested in that story. I don't think you're interested in that explanation of where we've been. I think this morning you are wanting us to know that we are forgiven. And you have invited us to follow you. And so for somebody in this room this morning, that is the invitation. Will you get up and will you follow me? Will you follow me this morning? My kingdom has come near because I love you and I am not here to forsake you. I am not here to throw you through a religious dance. I I am here to have a relationship with you. And I will take you as you are. Simply follow me. Me And watch what I can do in your life. I I am more powerful than you know. I can do things in your life that you haven't been able to do by your own strength. Put your faith in me and watch me go. Father, this morning, for some of us, we need to, in our heart and in our life, say, God, I will follow you. God, I will follow you this morning. God, would you help us to all do that? Because that's not a one-time decision. That's not a one-time prayer. That's not a one-time thing. That's a daily decision. It's a daily decision to pick up our cross and to follow you. So will you help us to do that this morning? And when we leave here, when we go back to work tomorrow, when we go back to school tomorrow, when we go back to our lives, will you help us to do it tomorrow and the day after and the day after that? And would we have a faith journey with you where you take us to places that we never knew we could go? God, that's our prayer this morning. We love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. The band's going to come back up, and we're just going to sing one last song together. And this morning, uh, the song that we, that we chose is Do It Again. And it's such a powerful testimony of what God has done but, but can do. And it, it's, it's, it's almost a claim to God that, God, I've seen you do it before, and I know You haven't left me yet. I know you haven't given up on me. Will you do it again in my life, in me? And so this morning, as we close with this song, I would just pray that this would be your prayer this morning, that God would do something real in your life, not something religious, not something that you can fake, not behavior modification, but that he would do something deep down into your soul, something you could face and embrace. So as we sing, will you just stand this morning? Would this be your prayer as we close service today?